are back here on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. This is the show for Tuesday, December the 13th. We have a finalist uh, locked in, and we have a third place team locked in as well. It's worth mentioning. Yes, Croatia, in this craziest of World Cups, have to stick around Qatar four more days and play a third place game. Many of these players will be playing in their leagues the following week. So I hope they can get some time with their family. I'm sure they are to decompress. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about third place games, but I, people just don't care, right? Especially this World Cup. Especially this World Cup. No one remembers who finishes third. I swear to God, I cannot remember anybody who finished third. Not even four years ago. I don't remember. I don't watch that game. I'll watch it because of the show. No one remembers. I remember Sweden beat Bulgaria in 94 because I remember there's a video of Risto Stoichkov being upset. That's the one I remember. Nobody cares. Well, we're waiting. Uh, so, yeah, sorry, God. I got a little carried away with uh, Ted Knight from Caddyshack. Uh, this was a World Cup, maybe. Yeah, you, you, you skip. Maybe the Croatians want to stick around. So, all right, never mind. Never mind. Soccer OG World Cup Daily, available in podcast form where all podcasts are available. If you are on your early morning commute, listen to us. We appreciate you uh, for tuning in. We've had a wonderful month. You can catch us here on YouTube under my name, Max Barretos. And you can catch us up here on our social media handles. And uh, check out the whole library of shows. Yeah, some of them are dated, but we have some very good guests. And uh, maybe you'll want to tune in for a few things here and there. We will uh, get to the game here shortly between Argentina and Croatia. We will also preview France-Morocco as well coming up. A reminder, we are presented by the fine folks at Farmer John. Wonderful array of products to get you going in the morning. Makes eggs taste better, makes toast taste better, makes hash brown taste better, makes your coffee taste better. Makes your coffee, is that amazing? Little bacon, little salty bacon you put. Coffee goes down good, your juice, whatever it is. Certainly include the Farmer John bacon or links or whatever, what have you, anything. Let us get into it. And then before we get into the games, I did, uh, we talked uh, in depth about the situation between Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna and... People are extending that conversation. I was called a clown or this and that because, uh, God forbid, I criticize Gio Reyna a little bit in all of this. So anyway, uh, one, one final thought on Greg Berhalter, Gio Reyna, uh, and then we'll move forward. That's my final thought. Move forward. No one's talking about these things. This is counterproductive. Let it go. It's over. Greg Verhalter, I'm sure, will move on to something different. Hard to imagine he's going to stay with the United States men's national team after this. And for Gio Reyna, call it a good learning experience. Put it behind you and start building to be a better teammate and be one of the key players in 2026. And that's it. You know, I mean, I was on Twitter and it was like, it was back and forth. Ah, Berhalter, Gio Reyna. I'm like, everyone just relax. This is so not important. Things will move on. Things will move on. You can be critical, folks. And we were yesterday, but let's, let's push forward. 
I know we want. I know everyone wants to still talk about it. But let's push forward. Let's enjoy the World Cup. We'll get back to it. But after this, we'll look at the U.S. a little bit closer and their preparations. We will have my prediction for the 26-man roster for 2026 later this week. And uh, we're putting a bow on this show, which is going to be a, a little bittersweet. I need to get out of the house. I do need to get out of the house. This show has been quite demanding. But we said every day and we'd be here every day. And it's amazing how these stories come up. So I really enjoyed talking about Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna. But it is time to muscle through. Gio Reyna back with his club. He'll be playing with Dortmund. He's got a, a Champions League uh, calendar to look forward to. And uh, I look forward to seeing what Greg Berhalter has next. And then the search for the U.S. It's not official that he's not going to be signed, but we press forward. The future looking very bright for the United States national team. Let us talk about Argentina and Croatia. Argentina 3, Croatia 0 in their semifinal matchup. I was way off. I started seeing the game early on. I said, maybe I'm right about Croatia. They were, first of all, they were passing the ball around and then they were passing the ball around midfield and then they were making and connecting passes in the final third, but never got that close beyond that. Croatia had a shot here, but at the end of the day, this was a team that's been very fortunate throughout this competition, winning in two penalty shootouts. Well, their luck ran out. And it certainly is a reminder on how hard it is to win a World Cup and how very few countries have won it. Only eight have won it. You have to be deep. You have to be organized. You have to be well-funded. You got to have all the bells and whistles to be a national team that can win a World Cup. Because getting through four games in the knockout stages is for the precious few. You need good luck, but you need more than that. And uh, Croatia, who have been excellent, their luck certainly ran out here. Argentina came out in a 4-4-2. That was part of the discussion. Uh, Paredes coming back with uh, a little beneath him, De Paul in the back of that midfield. Then we have uh, uh, Alvarez, uh, I'm sorry, Enzo Fernandez. Uh, locking it up there, and it would be Messi and Alvarez up in the attack. Tagliafico and uh, Molina with Acuna uh, suspended for this game. And Emi Martinez. So Argentina was able to pull a little through there, and Messi continued to play his uh, pretty liberated role where everyone's covering up for him. And I want to start with a big-picture comment, or maybe two big-picture comments before we get into the meat and potatoes of this game. This was magnificent from Argentina. This was just brilliant on so many levels. The brilliance of Lionel Messi, who had his moment, much like, he had his moment much like uh, Diego Maradona had an 86 meandering through the English midfield, getting Josko Vardiol, who I was going to say, I was going to tweet, has been the best defender in this tournament. Messi had him on his shoulder, went up and down, took him for a ride, came in across, Paul to play the ball, and for Julian Alvarez, who tapped it in. It was one of those iconic moments. We will be seeing that meandering run, or it's not really meandering, it was kind of like, uh, I don't know what you call it, but it was incredible. That is going to be a famous moment in World Cup history that we will see again and again. And magnificent for Lionel Messi for finding a running mate that he has so desperately looked for in the attack in Julian Alvarez. He's just 22 years of age. I get to 
cover a lot of South American football, calling Copa Libertadores, calling Copa Sudamericana. I had the pleasure of seeing Julian Alvarez at the age of 20 playing for River Plate at the time. I mean, he was very slow coming along. Didn't really, he, was, he played for 2018, 2019, not a lot of appearances when he was in 2020 for River Plate. It exploded. So I heard about him and I saw him and I go, this guy's amazing. Went to Manchester City and is now the, the, a famous number nine who has six international goals. I think, what, he's got four of them here? Unbelievable. Unbelievable what he has been able to do. So we think about Gonzalo Higuain and so many other number nines that weren't able to get over the hump here with Argentina. Alvarez has this team heading towards a final. Got to get him out of Manchester City. I mean, he has to be at a club where he is a number one. He won't be a number one when he is with Erling Holland. But think about all the Manchester City players that are out there. And I really, uh, Alvarez, is he the last one? There's a couple more. I got to check on that. But he is it. Last man standing, by and large, to play in this kind of role for, uh, for Argentina. So there's a lot there with Julian Alvarez, but he's taken that mantle. He is what Claudio Canigia was to Diego Maradona in 1990. Julian Alvarez is to Lionel Messi. That's a real important feature in all of this. The development of that partnership, pushing Lautaro Martinez out for Julian Alvarez to come in. Man, he is, he is, he is just breathtaking to watch because he is a clinical goal scorer. He's a poacher. He knows where to be. He knows how. It, a lot of these goals are pretty easy. Tap in, yada, yada. Not these mind-blowing runs. But he does have that athleticism and technical skill. He doesn't lean into it as much. But he is just so effective. I think this, we are looking at uh, one of the great future stars. A guy who's going to score a ton of goals wherever that might be. Maybe it is at Manchester City. But he is lights out. <clears throat> and a big reason why Argentina are moving forward. This isn't just Lionel Messi now. It had been, but now Julian Alvarez is shouldering the board and burden. But Lionel Messi had another spectacular game. And with that assist and doing that, he's putting them all together. He's having his best World Cup. He is doing the dirty work. He is connecting the dots. And, man, I know he gets a lot of penalties, but, man, he's converting them. The one he converted in this game, just top drawer, spectacular stuff. And I know I talked about the defense. They don't give you anything with uh, certainly uh, Otamendi, who's been at the top, but the fullbacks as well. Romero was really good today. We saw Lisandro Martinez have his moments, too. This defense gave Croatia nothing. This was a perfect uh, performance. And I know Croatia had 61% possession, but man, did Argentina punish them. The first goal, uh, the penalty that was Julian Alvarez came out of nowhere. It moments earlier, Ivan Perisic was chipped a ball in for a, a really good Croatian attempt. And then it comes out of here. Croatia fall asleep. Alvarez gets the ball from Enzo Fernandez, collides into Dominic Livakovic, who looked starry-eyed for the first time. He looked out of it. And just like that, Argentina's up one zip. Didn't deserve to be in front, but it doesn't matter. 38th minute. Horrible corner kick by Croatia. They went short, deflected. Messi kind of gets in there. Alvarez breaks through and is able to tap it home to make it two zip. That's the end of the game. That was your halftime score. Two massive letdowns for Croatia. But that's the thing. Some teams are equipped to make it through. Some teams are not. Croatia was not. 
And uh, that was the score in the second half. They tried to get some, uh, some things going. A lot of more of rudderless possession. And by the way, we saw a lot of rudderless possession against the Dutch too. No one's cracking this Argentine defense. And you got to give Lionel Scaloni, who was, it was beautiful to see him on the sideline. He was emotionally moved time and time again. Pablo Aymar was laughing, not laughing, but he was so joyous about what he was part of at that moment. And um, they just punished them, but they were, I don't think Croatia was going to score on this day. And the Dutch were lucky to score there by, you know, just changing the game plan and getting in there. But otherwise, this Argentine defense has been stoic. And look, they, uh, they let Croatia play. And Croatia played right into their traps. So, bravo, bravo. And if you get a chance, go to social media and look at these images of Argentine fans in Buenos Aires or in that main strip where the obelisk, El Obelisco, is. It's like one of those scenes where it's just humanity. There's no space. It's like those old those videos of the beaches in Brazil where you don't even see the sand. It's just people. Just people coming out of the streets to celebrate. And the Argentine fans illuminated that stadium again. Um, it's just, uh, I was really impressed. I was really, really impressed. And now more than ever, you know, I know I had a little blips here with Argentina. I, I want them to win it. This is the story that we've all been waiting for, for Lionel Messi and this hardworking team. And it really is, and I, I may have, uh, did not designate them the right way. I thought they were done after the Saudi Arabia game, but they have emerged in an incredible way and they're getting better. They're getting stronger. So many people deserve credit in addition to Lionel Messi. But Lionel Messi to me has been the golden ball winner. This is a famous, famous moment. They are going to win it now regardless of who comes out of the other final. But don't listen to me. I, this is the worst predictions I've ever had at a World Cup. I know, of course, I say that when I'm doing a show. This is the worst predictions I've ever had for a World Cup. So do the opposite. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into it. The second half, it was like cruise control and then a, a goal that we will never forget. My guy, Connor Colopsis, was at the game had a video right on top of all the action, and that's been gone viral, so check it out on uh, social media. Did pretty well. There you go. Uh, do you want to talk about Greg Burrell? No, I'm just kidding. Soccer OG World Cup Daily available every day. We'll be back tomorrow as well, so we're here for the long haul. When we return, we will preview France-Morocco. A lot of stories off the field, because if you look us, do a search of France-Morocco, all you will see is about the colonial history and the immigrants. And that's all part of this and what's going to make it titanic. But we'll see who will join Argentina in the final. That is coming up next. We are back here on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. I don't want to be that guy to say, oh, hey, Morocco, it's not going to happen. You can't make a final. It's the first time an African team has made a semifinal. There's no way you make a final. Uh, I would I'd not underestimate this Morocco team, but we will talk about them here shortly. France looking to be the first team to win back-to-back World Cups in 60 years. Brazil did it in 1958, 1962. Italy did it in 1934 and 1938. The tournament is much different than it was back then. It was a 16-team tournament there. If you go back to the 30s, there was just a European tournament, really. 1938, it was all European teams plus Cuba and a Dutch East Indian team. Obviously, they had more expansion in the 60s. Brazil was there. 
and but it was still i mean this sport was uh, an embryo and now it is this international spectacular uh, the whole world plays and the level of play has gone through the roof the reason i say this to you is if france repeats as champions this is the greatest accomplishment for a national team we told you how hard it is to win a world cup only eight teams have won it france didn't win one until 1998 and then they made a final in 06 with the Zinedine Zidane headbutt, one of my favorite sports moments ever. Then they won it four years ago. And now you've arrived. You know, they have two stars. Uh, and they've joined like the big countries. They can have them like Germany and Italy and Brazil. They have two stars like Argentina. Uh, so that adds that one of those teams, if France win, would go for the third star. But winning back-to-back World Cups in 2018 and 2022 is historically beyond belief. So that's what we could be looking at. They'll be facing Morocco, who are shouldering the burden, not just for Morocco, not just being the first African team to make a semifinal, not just the first Arab nation to make a semifinal. Uh, they're, they're dealing it for so much more. And uh, uh, Vali Regregui, who uh, is the French-born coach of Morocco, even said, we're not here to kid around. We want to rewrite history books for our brothers in North Africa, Egyptian, Libyan. He wants to play for everyone. And I truly believe all of Africa, even in sub-Saharan Africa and in West Africa and in East, everywhere is pulling for Morocco. It makes sense for them to do it. Uh, other regions wouldn't be doing that as we talked about yesterday, which makes this very, very interesting. So uh, Morocco in this World Cup have beaten Belgium and then beat Spain, knocked out Spain, and then knocked out Portugal. They have allowed one goal. It was an own goal by Naif Aguerd, and they have been really consistent in the way they play, but they're beating big European teams. And now they face France. Morocco was colonized for 44 years by the French from 1912 to 1956. Interesting article I read this morning by Khaled Beydoun on CNN, talking about um, that history. Uh, One-fifth of the immigration, immigrant population in France is Moroccan. So there is a lot involved there. And we have seen celebrations in Paris and the Champs-Élysées of Moroccan fans. There's going to be added security everywhere because it could get hot. It probably will get hot with the history these two countries have had. And you'll read about it everywhere. So... Um, this is, uh, you know, this, this is pride for so much. And it's, it's a shifting point as well because these European-born Moroccan players who have decided to represent Morocco have helped make this shift. Uh, the, 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 the rallying cry, we can show the rest of the world that Morocco is no longer France's backyard. I don't know who said that, but I read that somewhere and it certainly rings true. For instance, when you talk about the history of French football, the most iconic French player, Zinedine Zidane. If things were different, he would be playing for Algeria. His parents were Algerian. So the French, and you know, we, we're hearing a lot about you know, the, the right wing and the French um, political system and the massive immigration in France and how there is, uh, there's issues there. Like in most countries, it is the case. But Zinedine Zidane is a hero to every French person. But he was of Algerian parents. In case you're not familiar, Algeria, uh, a northern African neighbor of Morocco. So it just goes to show 
how much how many ties that bind these countries for better and for worse that's a big part of it we won't see that on the field so we're here talking about the field but i think it's important to talk about uh, the magnitude of this game with these two teams will certainly be certainly for morocco dealing with in this game france coming off a game which i thought they should have lost to england they the english and kyle walker took killian mbappe out of the game in the second half england dominated they got the two penalties man if you take a look at those penalties again if you get a chance so poorly given away by the french defense and unfortunately for harry kane he missed the second France had one good chance. Antoine Griezmann, who has been incredible. I just don't understand Antoine Griezmann, who he's, 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 looks like he's dwindling down his career on the club level. He's not really emerged. He doesn't really stick out. Then he plays for France, and he's one of the five or six best players in the tournament. But he lobs it in to Olivier Giroud, who has four goals here. You, With the numbers he have had, you could say he is the best number nine. I'm going to put Julian Alvarez a little bit above him. You'll get my uh, all-tournament team here coming shortly. But Olivier Giroud probably makes an all-tournament team if, if he gets another goal. That probably will lock it in for what he's been doing. These are guys that have been good, not like this for their club team. Mbappe has been another level. But Griezmann and you know Dembele, he's been good this year for Barcelona. But man, you know he hit a really bad patch. Now he's an important player. Uh, Aurelien Chouameni uh, faded a bit in the second half. We don't know the book on him. He had a nice goal against the English, and then he has Adrian Rabiot. These are, this French team, without the big names of Conte and Pogba and Benzema, it doesn't wow you, but yet here they are. They've been very good in this tournament, but I am concerned about the way they looked against the English. Now, and you would, I'll say this about the French too. Against England, they let England have the ball. Morocco's going to let France have the ball. I'm not sure Didier Deschamps wants all that ball. And this is part of the problem. And one of the big stories is how they are going to guard Mark Kylian Mbappe. Well, Kyle Walker was the right back. He was the man responsible for Mbappe. He did well. Morocco has the best right back in the competition. And he is a teammate of Kylian Mbappe at Paris Saint-Germain. We are talking about Ashraf Hakimi. I get the feeling that Hakimi could do a job. Now, Morocco is saying we don't want to focus too much on Mbappe because there's so many game breakers. But they don't have, Mbappe stands above the rest. So I know Morocco is saying that. But if you can take, if you have to sacrifice Hakimi to take Mbappe out of the game, you might get to your desired result, which would probably be penalties, right? So Morocco definitely has a shot here. Like Croatia, their luck cannot run out. But I think Croatia's had more good fortune than Morocco. The Morocco did go to one penalty shoot. I've had some great saves from Yassim Uno. And you get the feeling that that might luck. And if it doesn't run out in the semi, it has to run out in the final. Morocco-Argentina would be a very interesting final, but it wouldn't be France-Argentina. So I, I know Morocco. I love you guys. Thank you for so many memories. we got to get a France-Argentina final. Because Croatia-Morocco's third-place game is actually interesting. And I know what I said about third-place games, but it's actually kind of interesting. So uh, bring that on. So we've covered that. Morocco's watertight defense. I think it's going to be Hakimi on Mbappe. Sofyan Amrabat will be responsible for Griezmann. <clears throat> and there you have it. And then you still have good Moroccan players in Sofyan Bufal and Hakim Ziyech to try and get you a goal. And then El Nezri, who scored the goal against Portugal, you have enough class in the attack.
if you have those two players, Amrabat and Hakimi, trying to take out Griezmann and Mbappe. This is actually a pretty fascinating tactical matchup. With all the history we talk about, tactically, this is going to be a very interesting game. The Moroccan fans are going to be out in numbers. We will all enjoy that, uh, much like we did with the Argentines. Some big issues here. The health of the defenders of Morocco. Aguerd was out. Romain Saiz was out. Mazrahi, not a defender, but he, he will be a defender. Uh, are they going to be fit? If all three of them are out, how, how can Morocco do this? I mean, you're going deep. I know Regregi has said we, we have a, we're going to lean into all 26 players, but the reality is you need your good players. And those three, you know, Aguerd, big money signing at West Ham, even though he hasn't played. Saiz played in the Premier League. I believe he plays in Turkey now. And Mazrahi is a legit star. So you need, you can't get too far down the pecking order. Now, the question about Morocco being here on their defense, I thought Didier Deschamps had a real interesting quote. He said they would not have reached the semis, semis if they were just a defensive team. 100%. You have got to be able to score goals or else everyone would defend and hope their best. You don't, teams like this never make the semis. An African team hasn't made it. Or a team outside the elite status. So they are dangerous enough. And the names that I've mentioned there certainly are, uh, are part of it. So I think it's going to be a competitive game. In the end, I think France win. I would say the French get it 2-1. And uh, yeah, I think Morocco will be in there with the end. We'll be there in the end. Uh, we'll see, maybe 2-0. Uh, Let's say 2-1. We'll give Morocco one, a goal here. And again, I think they're capable. I think Morocco can win this game because France have not looked good. Obviously, that loss against Tunisia early on, very good against uh, Poland, but not great against England. England should have been here, all things considered the way they played. But again, that's not how it works in this sport. And that's why we love it so much. Story breaking from the Daily Mail. France struck by illness. Adrian Rabiot and Dayot Upamecano sitting out of training. So this whole illness thing. I ain't buying it a second time. We were told this about the Dutch camp. Those dudes did not look ill at all when they took on the United States. So there's great trainers. They've had a day's rest. They should be okay. Everyone, you know, there's obviously bugs going around there. Uh, but I think these guys will play and find a way in. And if they don't, those are not the most critical players. Although Rabio has been very good in the center of that park. But there is a bug. But that certainly makes things even more interesting. And then we'll have the final. And I can't believe we've made it here. Few more days here of the Soccer OG World Cup Daily, but we're certainly enjoying all the action. Enjoy the semifinal on Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow to recap it. Vince LaRosa, our friend at 110 Football, who has a real beautiful mind for this sport, will join me. We will talk about what has stood out for him, what are some of the trends, what are the things to look for, and maybe we'll talk a little USMNT as well. That lies ahead, the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Audio format where all podcasts are available. Like and subscribe. I didn't do that at the beginning. Hit that thumbs up. Let's get those numbers up. Great numbers on our videos. Great numbers on our podcast. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow.